Well, hi, church. Who would have ever thought that we would be meeting like this? Um, I've got to tell you, it's a pretty strange feeling to be speaking to you, and there's absolutely no one here in the worship center, which means there's no one here to laugh at my jokes, and I guess uh, that's all as well because these are pretty, uh, pretty serious times that we're living in. Um, but I want to begin uh, today by showing you a photo that you might find a little amusing. This is my wife, Cheryl. And uh, I don't know if you have any idea where she's at, but she is at Target. And as you can see, the shelves have been completely wiped clean. Just another sign of the times that we're living in today, I suppose. Well, like the rest of you, I've been thinking a lot about coronavirus, the pandemic. And uh, I just want to give a shout out, first of all, to our leadership team and staff who've been doing such an excellent job of staying on top of this crisis And I want to thank all of you for your prayers and for your emails and messages. Uh, We appreciate all of the suggestions you've made and the feedbacks you've given to us. And we take everything that you communicate to us into consideration. So we appreciate that so very much. And just to give you some insight into our decision making in recent days, the main thing that we've endeavored to do is to strike a perfect balance between faith and reason, faith and common sense, and faith and prudence. On the one hand, our aim is to protect you. Number one, just to protect you and keep you safe, and to to participate in stopping the spread of COVID-19 as opposed to contributing to its expansion. Therefore, we thought it would be prudent to cancel our services uh, this weekend until the end of the month, And so that's what we're doing. Now, on the other hand, uh, we have faith. We believe in our great and mighty God. We are a community of faith, uh, and we have a faith in in a God who loves us. And our admonition all along has been uh, for you to trust in the Lord and to pray to Him because He is our hope. And that's why we decided to call for an evening of prayer uh, this Tuesday And I noticed that the president also declared Sunday to be a national day of prayer. That said, if the situation deteriorates any further in the next couple days and it becomes necessary for us to cancel our prayer meeting, then we're going to do that. But as of right now, we're going to be gathering together here on Tuesday evening at 7 o'clock to pray. And if you can join us, we would love to have you here And we will observe all the government protocols for our gatherings, keeping at least six six feet distance from each other. And if you can't join us, we we, uh, ask you to spend some time praying with us, uh, praying uh, on Sunday, praying in your homes, wherever you're at, for the stop of this uh, terrible disease. And so um, in dealing with this crisis, we've been juggling matters of faith and reason, common sense, all at the same time. Well, today, I wanted to share with you some of my thoughts about uh, this whole situation. I got to tell you, uh, my heart has been heavy, and that's true for all the pastors on our staff, and I'm sure for all of you. So um, I I feel desperate for God. I want to open up our time in a word of prayer, and and then we'll open up uh, and see what God's word has to say to us today. All right, let's pray. Father, I desperately need you. And I thank you so much um, for who you are, for the fact that you sit on the throne. You are still God. You are still great. You are in control of all things that are going on today. 
And Father, thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. I don't know what we would do if we didn't have you. And in, and in some sense, Lord, the church and who we are is needed more than ever before in the world today. And so I pray that as we gather online, we are still the church because the church is not a building. Church is a people. So wherever we're at, wherever we're gathered, I pray that you would speak so clearly to each and every one of us. Continue to speak to me, but speak to every one of us that we would hear from you and that we would join our hearts together, unite as a church to be all that you want us to be. So thank you, Father. Bless us now. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the other day, a young lady who attends our church from time to time received a message from the president of her company, the company that she works for, uh, and the message was that they were looking to make deep cuts within their organization, and they might even need to shut down completely because of the slumping economy and the plummeting stock, stock market, and they're a publicly traded company. And when the young lady, who I know, she calls me Uncle Gary, read this message from the chief executive officer of her company, it shook her up. It shook her up to the point where she immediately texted her family, and she was shocked, she was confused, she was bewildered, and she texted them wanting to know what in the world was going on. And so her family uh, responded to this, and first of all, they couldn't believe uh, what she was uh, saying to them, she, that she had no clue as to what was going on. And uh, her dad told me that her very first, first thoughts were that, his first thoughts were that she was kidding somehow, but she wasn't kidding. And when they realized she was serious, they, they wanted to tell her what was going on. She had no idea that coronavirus was sweeping across the world and, and, and wrecking havoc, uh, wreaking havoc wherever uh, it went. It took a message from the chief executive officer in her company to get her attention. And she got it. And he got it to her. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but from time to time, God moves in such a way as to get our attention. You know, as many of you know, I used to own and manage a Mexican restaurant. Uh, I made the best, uh, the biggest and the best chili verde burritos in the city of Montclair, like this picture shows. Um, I poured everything into that business, but after two years, we couldn't make a go of it. After investing tens of thousands of dollars and literally thousands of hours in work, 80 hours a week, 24 months straight, uh, the business failed. And after it failed, I was penniless, I was depressed, and I was also a spiritual basket case, pretty far from God. Now, just to give you the backstory, uh, shortly before I went in the restaurant business uh, with my brother, I sensed that God was moving me toward going to seminary and then eventually into the ministry, full-time ministry. But I ignored that prompting, that leading, and I started the restaurant instead. So in a nutshell, I was disobedient to God because I didn't do what I sensed he was wanting me to do. And when the restaurant failed, I knew in my heart what God was up to. He was trying to get my attention. It was as if he was trying to say to me, hello, Gary, hello, here I am. I still love you, and I have a plan for your life, and I want you to serve me, but you've got to obey me. You see, God used a failure in my life to get my attention, 
and he got it. And that's the only reason why I'm in ministry today, because he got my attention. You know, my, my journey reminds me of the story of Jonah. Remember Jonah? One day God told Jonah to go to Nineveh to call the people out uh, on their sin. But Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because he hated the Ninevites. And so instead, he went down to the port city of Joppa, which is just south of Tel Aviv in Israel on the Mediterranean. And he caught a ship that was headed in the opposite direction to Tarshish. Let me show you what the scriptures have to say about this. And by the way, you have no notes in your Baywatch today because you have no Baywatch. But if you open up your South Bay Community Church app, everything will be listed there for you. So follow along there. You can take a look at the screen. But here's what it says, Jonah chapter 1, starting in verse 3. It says, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. And then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. And you can stop right there. So by the way, do you think that throwing the cargo into the sea helped to lighten the load? Not at all. Because the weight of the cargo wasn't the problem. The who of the cargo was the problem. And the who of the cargo was Jonah. He was the cargo and he was the problem because he disobeyed God and now he was trying to run away from him. I mean, this was an epic failure on Jonah's part. So out of nowhere, a giant storm rose up. It wasn't even on the Doppler radar. I usually get a laugh here, but there's nobody here. The winds howled. The seas churned. The, the ship was pounded by the ocean over and over to the point that it was about to break up. And it's pretty clear from reading this passage what was going on here. This was not some random storm. This was God trying to get Jonah's attention. And God's message to him was this. Hey, Jonah, hello. It's me. I still love you. And you can't run from me, Jonah. And you can't hide from me. I want you to serve me, but you've got to obey me. Well, to Jonah's credit, he got the message loud and clear. And at his urging, the mariners, the sailors, threw him overboard into the ocean. And instantly, the scriptures tell us that the seas stopped raging. Here's the point. Sometimes God uses our failures to get our attention. He uses our failures to get our attention. Again, if you're following along on our app, you can write that one down. God can use failure to get my attention. And that's especially true when we've taken our eyes off of him, when we don't put God first, when we willfully sin against him, when we live in disobedience to him. He can use failure to get our attention because God loves us so much that all he wants us to do is follow him. Maybe he'll allow your restaurant to fail because... He wants, you to, he wants to get your attention. Or maybe he'll allow you to fail an important test because he wants to get your attention. Or maybe you won't get that job that you've been wanting to get or you won't get into that school you want to get into because he wants to get your attention. Maybe a relationship that you've been in has gone sideways because he wants to get your attention. You see, at the end of the day, what God wants more than anything else is that you would keep him at the center of your lives. 
But sometimes, not all the times, but sometimes he'll use failure to get our attention. And as most of you know, I, after I graduated from college, I got a job working for the president of the Los Angeles City Council. And my position there allowed me to socialize with some of the most uh, powerful people in the city. On one occasion, my boss asked me to uh, attend a, a U.S.-Asia trade conference in the, at the Century Plaza Hotel. And I was pretty pumped up because I knew some of the people who were going to be there, all famous, rich people. And so I went, and at this event, I met, I met millionaires and billionaires uh, from all over the world who wanted to uh, do business with the city of Los Angeles. And they wanted, and they told me, many of them told me they wanted my help because I worked for one of the most influential uh, politicians in the city. And throughout the day, I envisioned starting my own consulting company. And, and I envisioned that I could become a deal maker, like the guy who wrote some book called The Art of the Deal. And I would become rich and I could become wildly successful. Well, that evening, uh, as I drove home from the conference, something truly bizarre happened to me. As I was transitioning from the 101 to the 10, flames, all of a sudden flames started shooting out from underneath the hood of my car. It was so surreal. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I was freaking out, and I, and I jammed the brakes immediately, but there were no brakes. I guess the brake line uh, burned out. And so I reached for the handbrake, and I pulled up the handbrake, and fortunately, that started to slow down the car. And by the time it came to a stop, the entire engine was engulfed in flames, and so I jumped out of the car. The only thing I grabbed, I had a Bible with me, and I grabbed the Bible, and I ran out of the car, and, and nobody stopped, and finally the flames died down. Uh, I was able to get to the call box. We didn't have cell phones back then. I got to the call box. The guy wanted to know if I wanted a fire engine, but then the car was all burnt to a crisp. I said, no, I just need a tow truck. And so tow truck came and took me away to a, took it to a friend's house, and, and then I got a lift home. And, and that's another story altogether I'll say for another time. But the next morning, I opened up my Bible, knew, called in the office and told them I wasn't coming in because I didn't have a ride because my car burned up, which they thought was hilarious. But I, I opened up my Bible to to do my devotions, and I, I was in 1 Timothy, and I was, the, the very next chapter that morning was 1 Timothy chapter 6, and um, here are just a few verses I read from that chapter, and it said this, starting in verse 7, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world, for if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, and in many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And he jumped down to verse 17 and says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hope, hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. There to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. When I finished reading this chapter, my jaw just dropped to the floor because I knew that God was speaking to me. The day before, all of my thoughts, all of my thoughts were about becoming rich and successful. I mean, I actually thought about what I was going to do with all the money that I made from becoming a deal maker. 
I was, I was going to buy a house in Malibu. I wanted to go back, back and buy a house in Malibu because I loved living in Malibu when I was at Pepperdine. I was going to buy seven cars, one for every single day, drive a different car every single day of the week. I had it all planned out. And then I read this. It put things into perspective. Let me just say, there's, there's nothing wrong with having money, being rich, and being successful. Nothing wrong with that. In fact, I want you to write this down on your app. God can use success to get my attention. God can actually use success to get our attention. You wonder, well, how does that work? Well, first you need to know that God is the one who gives us success. Speaking of a young man named Joseph, Genesis 39.3 says this, His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. See, God was the one who gave Joseph success. God was with him, and he gave it to him. Success comes from God. Similarly, Deuteronomy 8.18 says this, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. You see, this verse tells us that it is God who gives people the power to get wealth. It is God who prospers us. And when God prospers you, when God grants you success, he does so for the purpose of getting your attention. How's that, you ask? By waiting to see how you respond to what God has given to you. God prospers you and gives you success. And then he's wondering, will he be thankful? Will Will he praise me? Will she be humble? Will she generously share what I have given to her with others? Or will he become prideful? Will he think that he achieved all this all on his own? Will she be stingy and will she be greedy? Will she be selfish with what I've given to her? See, this is how God uses success to get our attention. So if God has blessed you, he did so in part to get your attention, to see how you will react. Let me just say, you don't have to be a millionaire or a billionaire to be a success. God may have blessed you with a job as a janitor. Or may have blessed you with a job as a cook. Or maybe he gave you a job as an engineer or a teacher. Maybe your application to rent a one-bedroom apartment here in the South Bay for $2,000 a month was just approved. Or maybe God made it possible for you to buy a brand new home in Palos Verdes. The question is, how will you react to the blessings that God has given you. A lot of folks can be very, very thankful for that. A lot of other folks will say, look at what I did. God not only uses failure to get our attention, but can also use success to get our attention. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but as I speak, hundreds of billions of locusts are making their way across parts of Africa, parts of Asia, and the Middle East devouring everything in its path. Here's a photo of what's going on in Kenya. Scientists say that a locust can eat its own body weight in food every single day. And they are breeding so fast that these numbers are expected to grow by 500-fold by the month of June and reach, and this swarm is expected to reach 30 different countries. Here's a close-up shot of what these critters look like. In the Old Testament portion of the Bible, there's a gem of a book called Joel. Joel was written by a prophet named Joel. 
The name Joel means Yahweh is God. And the theme of the book is the judgment of God. The backdrop for the writing of this book is a severe locust plague that afflicted the nation of Judah. I want you to listen carefully to what Joel said, and I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation Version, which is a paraphrase, and I think it will help you to get the gist of what's going on here. You don't even read this. Just, just listen to what Joel said. The Lord gave this message to Joel, son of Petul. Hear this, you leaders of the people. Listen, all who live in the land. In all your history has anything like this happened before. Tell your children about it in the years to come and let your children tell their children. Pass the story down from generation to generation. After the cutting locusts finished eating the crops, the swarming locusts took what was left. And after them, them came the hopping locusts and then the stripping locusts too. Wake up, you drunkards, and weep. Well, all you wine drinkers, for all the grapes are ruined and all your sweet wine is gone. A vast army of locusts has invaded my land, a terrible army too numerous to count. Its teeth are like lion's teeth, its fangs like those of a lioness. It has destroyed my grapevines and ruined my fig trees, stripping their bark and destroying it, leaving the branches white and bare. Weep like a bride dressed in black, mourning the death of her husband. For there is no grain or wine to offer at the temple of the Lord. So the priests are in mourning. The ministers of the Lord are weeping. The fields are ruined. The land is stripped bare. The grain is destroyed. The grapes have shriveled and the olive oil is gone. Despair, all you farmers. Will, all you vine growers, weep because the wheat and barley, all the crops of the field are ruined. The grapevines have dried up, the fig trees have withered, the pomegranate trees, palm trees, and apple trees, all the fruit trees have dried up, and the people's joy has dried up with them. Dress yourselves in burlap and weep, you priests. Wail, you who serve before the altar. Come, spend the night in burlap, you ministers of my God, for there is no grain or wine to offer at the temple of your God. Announce a time of fasting. Call the people together for a solemn meeting. Bring the leaders and all the people of the land into the temple of the Lord your God and cry out to him there. See, what the prophet Joel described in this passage was a scene of utter destruction and total devastation. I mean, it was economic as well as social. It was also emotional. Verse 12 says the people's joy was dried up. And according to verse 2, they had never seen anything like it. And the reason Joel said in verse 5, wake up you drunkards and weep, was because he understood what was at play here. He knew that God was shaking the nation to get their attention, and he was using a swarm of bugs to do it. This was not the only time God shook the nation to get their attention. Here's what the Lord said in the Old Testament book of Amos. Amos 4, verse 9 and 10. The Lord said, I struck you with blight and mildew. Your many gardens and your vineyards, your fig trees and your olive trees, the locusts devoured. Yet, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I sent among you a pestilence after the manner of Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword and carried away your horses, and I made the stench of your camp 
go up into your nostrils, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. You see, the Lord wanted Israel's attention because they had wandered away from him. So he struck them with blight and with mildew. I'm going to tell you something about mildew. This mildew here is not mildew as we know it. This mildew is the Hebrew word yarek, and it means, it refers to a paleness that comes from fear, fear. In other words, they were struck with fear. They were white as ghost, as a ghost with, from fear. And, and then God struck them with a locust plague, struck them with pestilence, which refers to disease. And then he was struck them with war. All this for the purpose of getting their attention. But the sad part is, it didn't get their attention. All these things that happened to them didn't get their attention, and they didn't return to the Lord. You know, it is so important that when God tries to get our attention, that we respond, that we react, that we hear what he is saying to us. And these biblical accounts beg the question, is God using coronavirus to get our attention? Is God shaking the nations of the world to get our attention? If you think about where COVID-19 has reached today, it is everywhere. Here's the latest map from the CDC as of Friday morning. The dark shaded areas are all those nations where the coronavirus has spread. And I'm sure it's only a matter of time before it covers the entire globe. So, is God trying to get the world's attention? Well, the answer is he's always trying to get the world's attention because he wants everyone to follow him. The answer as to whether or not he's using coronavirus to get the world's attention is he can. He can use coronavirus just as he can use any calamity to get our attention. And you can write that one down. God can use calamity to get my attention. Doesn't mean that he will, but he can. The honest truth is we don't know for sure. We can't say for sure. But there are several things that we can be certain of at a time like this, and that is we need to turn to Jesus. We need Jesus. The world needs Jesus. And there has never been a more opportune time for the church to be the light. There's never been a more opportune time to share the good news of Jesus with others than right now. I can't think of a more exciting time to be alive than right now. Because as the world is in full panic mode, uh, we have the hope of Christ in our hearts. And so, church, let's be the church that God wants us to be and point people to Jesus. Let's do all the things that Pastor Greg and I talked about in our recent series, This Is Home. Even though we can't meet together for worship, keep worshiping. Keep your nose in the scriptures. Read the Bible every day and join us every week online here at our website. And you can also go back and watch all of our old messages as well. And even though we can't meet together to love each other, keep loving each other. Stay in contact with everyone you know in the church. Check up on each other every single day. Pray for each other every day. Send each other prayers. And for all of you, who have friends who aren't very spiritual, don't preach to them. Don't be self-righteous. Don't think you know what's going on because we really don't. And if you have the opportunity, lovingly tell them what Jesus means to you. 
Ask them how they're doing. And when they tell you that they're afraid, text them a prayer. Lovingly text them a prayer and ask God to be with them. And if you have yet to give your heart to Christ, I would just say this. Man's greatest dilemma is not the coronavirus. That's not our biggest problem. But the biggest problem that we have is a virus called sin. And everyone is infected with it. Every single human being is affected, infected with sin. And the Bible tells us that sin kills. It will separate us from God forever and ever. But the good news is Jesus came to die on a cross for sins. 1 Peter 3, 18, your final verse says, For Christ also died for sins once for all so that he might bring us to God. He died so that the virus called sin won't kill us. All you need to do is believe by faith that Jesus was who he said he was, that he died on a cross for your sins and was raised from the dead. And if you do, if you will believe by faith, you will be freed from that deadly virus called sin and it won't kill you. And that doesn't mean you're going to stop sinning, but it means you'll be forgiven. It means God will give you the gift of eternal life and you will have hope, even for such a time as this. If indeed God has been trying to get our attention, then the worst thing that we can do is to come out of this crisis and we've completely ignored him. Don't ignore him. Get right with God today and we'll have nothing to worry about. Let's close our time in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we see from Scripture that there's precedence for how you tried to get the attention of your people through calamity. And Father, we have no idea what's going on today. But one thing we do know, Lord, we do know that you are a loving and mighty God. And you are God who sits on the throne. And I believe with all my heart you, you want our attention. You want the world's attention. Whether you, you're using coronavirus or not, it, it remains to be seen. But I pray that right now you would help the church to step up in every single way. Father, we may not be able to do all the things we have loved to do, but wherever you've planted us, wherever you've put us, help us to be the church. Help us to be the loving people of God and point people to you. And Father, give us on a continual basis your, your, the faith to believe. Give us courage. Give us hope. Grant us peace. Help us to stay connected to one another because we really need not only you, but we need each other. So, Father, thank you for the church. And, Father, however it is that you're trying to get our attention today, whether it's through failure, whether it's through success, or possibly even through this calamity, help us to get right with you. Help us to put all of our eyes and focus on you. Lord, we love you. We thank you for Jesus, and we pray all these things in his precious and mighty name. Amen.